Have a seat. At this time, uh, kids four years through first grade can head off to Covenant Kids Worship. Be For those of you who are not with us often or haven't been with us in the past several weeks, they'll be down the uh, education hall in the second classroom on the left. And... Um, Many of you will appreciate this. Uh, my wife, Megan, is in Covenant Kids Worship this morning. She said, the only thing I want for Mother's Day this year is that you have a short sermon. On <laughs> so I will try to make my wife's Mother's Day wish come true. We're going to be in Luke chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. And as you, as we, before we come to our text this morning, I want to ask all of you, but particularly you kids, do you like parties? Do you like parties? Anybody out there like parties? No, nah, just okay. You like parties? What kind of party do you like? I mean, I like parties. I don't know about you, but I like parties. What kind of, what kind of party do you like? Do you like birthday parties? Many of us will be going to graduation parties here in the next month. Do you like weddings? What's your favorite part of the parties that you like so much? Or is it lots of food, cake, and other yummy treats? Maybe you like to dance. Does anybody like to dance at parties? Do you like to celebrate with your friends and family? I think that's one of the hardest parts, right, of this last year of, is not having the kind of parties that we normally would have, like missing out on some of those things that we so much enjoy about getting together, about having these celebrations. And as we begin to kind of come out of the COVID regulations and all these things, what kind of party do you want to have? Who would you invite to these parties? Well, depending on the kind of party, there may be people that you don't know very well, but you kind of have to invite. Like, you know, for, the, for those of you as you get older and get ready to graduate from either high school or college, maybe your parents might throw you a graduation party, and there are some people that might get invited that you don't really know, but you have to invite them because they're your parents' friends or things like that. Weddings kind of happen that way too. Get, you get these big long lists. You have people that you really want there and then the people that you feel like you have to have there and then the people that your parents tell you you have to have there, right? Um, those are kind of the things that we go through. But oftentimes when we are throwing a party, we want to invite who? Our friends, right? We want to invite our friends. We want to invite the people that we like and that like us. And, you know, sometimes, even as adults, sometimes we may wonder if the friends we want to invite will be friends that our other friends will like, or if, they're, if we're inviting the right kind of friends. This morning, Jesus gets invited to a party, <laughs> right? In fact, it's called a great feast. Have you ever been to a great feast? Have you ever been invited to a great 
feast. Sounds awesome, doesn't it? <laughs> a great feast. The person who gave this feast is a man named Levi, and he's Jesus' newest disciple. He invites his friends to the feast, like we'd invite our friends to a party, right? But he has the wrong kind of friends. <laughs> friends that others have questions about, that whisper about behind their backs, or maybe not even whisper, but just talk badly about them. Even maybe even hate them. And Jesus is invited to this feast with Levi's friends, with people who aren't the right friends to have. What do you think? Do you think Jesus will go? What will Jesus do? Let's read from Luke 5, chapter, uh, verses 27 through 32 and find out. After this, this is what we just read last week about Jesus healing the paralyzed man who was lowered down through the roof by his friends. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick, I have come to call the righteous. I've come not to call the righteous, but sinners. To repentance. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel of Luke, that we might have certainty in who Jesus is and what he has done and who we are to be in following him. Lord, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear this day. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we continue our series in the Gospel of Luke. And just a quick reminder, last week, as I mentioned, in Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 26, we have these friends who bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus. And they lower him down through the opening in the roof because they couldn't get in to, to see Jesus because of the crowd. And Jesus, when he sees the man, and the text says he sees their faith, Jesus forgives his sins, and then he heals him. And the Pharisees and the scribes who show up again in our story today because they were with Jesus, they had been with him there, and they likely followed him out, just like we read here. The, scribes and the Pharisees and the scribes asked this important question, who can forgive sins but God alone? You know, I, we talked about how they were much more comfortable with Jesus being the teacher and miracle worker than they were with Jesus forgiving sins. That was a step too far for them because as I say, only God can forgive sins. And I asked the question, we kind of flipped it around and I said, in our modern 
church, in our modern understanding, are we more comfortable with Jesus forgiving sins than with his healing? And we said that Jesus saves fully, both spiritually, but also physically. Jesus offers full salvation, spiritually and physically. This morning's story comes directly, as I said, on the heels of what we just read last week. Jesus leaves the place of the healing of the paralyzed man, and he sees Levi. Levi was a tax collector. Levi was not a well-respected member of society. Uh, The Talmud actually classified them as robbers. (laughs) So rare was the honesty in the profession of tax collecting that a Roman writer remarked in amazement that he once saw a monument to an honest tax collector. (laughs) And Jewish tax collectors were probably the most hated men in Hebrew society. They were despicable. They were rich vermin. They got rich by taking what was not theirs from others. You remember that earlier in Luke when John the Baptist is in the wilderness baptizing and the people are coming to be baptized and the tax collectors come and they ask him, what should we do? And John the Baptist says, only collect what you're supposed to. <laughs> Right? That's what repentance looks like for a tax collector. Only collect what you're supposed to. They were classified with robbers, evildoers, adulterers, with prostitutes, with pagan Gentiles. They were not only hated for their robbery, but also because they worked for the Romans. Tax collectors were not allowed to serve as witnesses in court. They were excommunicated from the synagogues. So the fact that Jesus calls Levi to be his disciple would in and of itself have been shocking enough. The Pharisees and the scribes that followed Jesus that day out from this healing of the paralytic and and Jesus calls Levi, I'm sure there was much discussion, (laughs) much consternation over the fact that Jesus had just called this tax collector to follow him as a disciple. It was shocking enough, but then Jesus agrees to be the guest of honor at a feast thrown by a tax collector for tax collectors and other sinners. The word translated here as sinners could be translated as sinful sinners, like really, really big sinners, like super sinners. What's unimaginable to the Pharisees, those who have figured out God, is that Jesus is eating with tax collectors and sinners. It's unimaginable to them, but Jesus sees things differently. He doesn't see these people as those who need to be shunned or kept at a distance so they don't rub off on those of us who are good and righteous. No, he saw their need. He saw they were lost, that they were indeed sinners, but not to be outcast, but to be brought near. 
They were sick and they were in need of healing, just like the man with leprosy, just like the paralyzed man. What we've just seen physically, but also spiritually in both of them, that they were both forgiven, particularly this paralyzed man, but what we saw physically is being now displayed by in a, a man that looks to be physically well, but is just like the man with leprosy and the paralyzed man in need of his sin to be forgiven. This morning we have to ask two questions because there's two different people in this passage that we can, that we are or that we can often be. First, we have to say, do you know you're sick? For those of you who are with us this morning, do you know you're sick? Like those who are invited to the meal, those who the Pharisees and the scribes scoff at, do you know you're sick? Do you know your need for Jesus, that you are a sinner who is sick in need of the great physician who is Jesus. But there's another group in this passage. And the other question we have to ask, for those of us who are religious, who are Christians, who have said that we indeed want to follow Jesus like Levi, have we forgotten what it's like to be sick? Do you know you're sick? And for those of you who once knew you're sick, have you forgotten what it's like to be sick? This morning, maybe you're with us and you sense that you are like those who are invited by Levi, not thought of well by those of us who are religious. Maybe you've had run-ins with people who call themselves Christians. And instead of being welcomed to the table, welcomed by Jesus, welcomed by them in the name of Jesus, you felt shunned. You felt cast out. You felt judged. If that's you this morning, let me say I'm sorry. That is not Jesus. It is those of us who have forgotten what it's like. It's those of us who've forgotten that Jesus welcomed us in our great need, in our great sin and sickness. Maybe you're here this morning and you are very religious. <laughs> You are a Christian, but you've forgotten that you too, apart from the saving, healing work of Christ, were sick too. Your hard heart has become hard to those who are tax collectors and sinners, who are super sinners, who are sinful sinners.
You see, what we need to know for the first time and what we can never forget, no matter how long we've followed Jesus, is that Jesus eats and drinks with sinners. Now, obviously, Levi had just (laughs) literally just started following Jesus. And so he is in this immediate sense of, wow, I know who I am, and yet Jesus wants to be with me. You see, Jesus has welcomed Levi, right? Jesus has accepted him. Notice that Levi has not stopped being a tax collector prior to this. He has not gone out and made amends for all of his sinful actions. He has not paid penance. He's welcomed by Jesus to come and to follow him, to be a disciple. And he responds as we should always respond, never forgetting, no matter how long we follow Jesus, what it means that Jesus eats and drinks with sinners. And that's our main point in our passage, that Jesus eats and drinks with sinners. And we see that in fellowship with mercy, and we follow. First in fellowship, verses 29 through 30. As many of you will know, table fellowship was one of the most intimate things in the first century culture. To be invited to, the ta- to someone's table meant that you were of equal with them, that you were part of their social standing, you were part of their social circles. You and I are equal, it said. You and I are close friends. You and I are in this together or that you are hoping (laughs) that by inviting them, they would become part of your circle, part of your close friends. And Jesus is invited into this table fellowship with those to a man like Jesus should not, would not, could not be a part of in the minds of the very religious. Jesus uses eating and drinking to confirm, establish, and invite relationship. Right? eating and drinking, the Pharisees, you know, it's not like, it's not that, notice what the Pharisees say. It's not that they say, why is Jesus teaching the tax collectors and the the sinners? Or why is Jesus speaking with them? Or why is Jesus telling them about the kingdom of God? Or what? No. What is their main problem? It's not that Jesus is talking to them or teaching them or proclaiming the kingdom, or sharing the gospel with them, if that's the terminology you want to use? What is the 
main issue that the Pharisees and the scribes have with Jesus. He's eating and drinking with them. Now, the Pharisees and the scribes probably wouldn't want to teach and talk with and hang out with tax collectors and sinners. But if Jesus wants to teach them and to help them become better people and to follow the law and things like that, well, then good on Jesus. But they come to Jesus' disciples and ask, not any of that, why do you eat and drink with these people? Why do you see them as friends? Why are you inviting them into your circles? Luke is wanting us to see ourselves and those who Jesus eats and drinks with. He wants us to be reminded that we are those who should not be welcomed <laughs> to those that he extends mercy. But he's also wanting to remind us that we, as those who have been called by Jesus, who have received Jesus, who have been welcomed by him, who have been welcomed into fellowship with him, that Jesus, the one who's welcomed us, is our model of welcoming others. You see, by Luke contrasting Jesus with the Pharisees and false teachers, Luke invites us to embrace Jesus as the paradigm for how we properly engage with others. And the proper way is to eat and drink. To not just know, like in a general sense, people like that, but to actually welcome them into our circle of friendship to our table, right? Table fellowship today does not quite have the same weight that it did in first century, but it still carries, I mean, who do we invite over to eat at our house? <laughs> People that are like us, that we like, that are in our same circles. Jesus who has called us to eat with him, to drink with him, calls us to do the same as his people. It's as if Jesus is reminding us that we are to get to know at a deep level those people the tax collectors and the sinners of our day. I don't know how many of you have found the show Ted Lasso, and this is not a blanket uh, uh, recommendation because it is mature um, in some re regards, but it is a 
beautifully redemptive story. And one of my favorite episodes, Ted Lasso, who is an American football coach who is from Texas, who comes to England to coach a Premier League soccer team, (laughs) who doesn't know anything about soccer, but he knows about people and he knows about coaching and he knows how to get the best out of people. And in one episode, he's playing darts with a gentleman and the gentleman obviously is taking advantage of him because of because Ted is this hick from Texas who doesn't know anything about British society or or British football. And as they're playing darts, the man begins to realize that Ted has been the one playing him. And Ted says to this guy, you know, I remember seeing this Walt Whitman quote, and it's always stuck with me. Be curious, not judgmental. And he said, if you were curious about who I was, you would know that every week my dad and I would play darts every Sunday afternoon for hours. And you would know that I became so good at darts that I could beat anybody in the pub. And you would know that I became so good that I became a dart-throwing champion. But you didn't want to know who I was. You just saw me for who you thought I was. Something like that. Jesus is calling us to be curious, to welcome those into our lives who would be tax collectors and sinners because he has welcomed us. And he's done that with mercy verses 31 through 32. He reminds the Pharisees that it is not those who are well who need the doctor but are sick. The the Pharisees were the separated ones. They were were ones who had erected walls of law to keep separated. They avoided social contact with sinners to make sure that their own sanctification, their own sanctity wasn't sullied and especially careful not to eat with anyone who neglected the laws of cleanliness and tithing. And so in their question to Jesus and his answer, they are insisting that the doctor only associate with the healthy people for fear of infection. Jesus, on the other hand, reminds them that sick people are the ones that need healing. That salvation from the contagion of sin is not to be found in spiritual quarantine regulations, but in taking the healing power of God's forgiveness to those who need it. You see, the irony of Jesus' ministry is that the sinners who are sick become the healthy (laughs) and the righteous through repentance. But the so-called righteous remain sick because they don't think they are in need of repentance. They aren't in need of Jesus. Jesus equates sin and sickness here as he did in the healing of the paralytic. And he's showing once again that he indeed has the power to forgive sin, that he indeed is the one who is the good physician who heals us of our sickness, of our sin. 
He's the one who is merciful, who comes in mercy. Jesus is first and foremost the Savior who passionately pursues those who are in need of mercy. And yet, his redeeming love is also an example for everyone he has sought, saved, and called. And so we see that Jesus is the one who eats and drinks with sinners in fellowship with mercy. And finally, that we might follow. Verses 27 through 28, that we might follow him, the one who has welcomed us, the one who has shown us mercy. You see, that's what Levi is responding to. Right, Levi is responding to the one who has called him into fellowship. The one who has said, I want to be your friend, Levi. I want you to follow me. I want you to know my mercy and my grace. And that's what he says to each of us. And we are called to follow to follow as Levi did. Inviting those who are not good enough, not welcomed, not wanted, to invite those to come and meet Jesus, right? That's why Levi threw the feast. He wanted his friends, the tax collectors and the serious sinners, to meet Jesus just like he had. He wanted them to know this man, this God-man who would come up to him and see him for who he is. Not as a tax collector, but as a child of God. and call him to follow him. And you know that when we follow Jesus that way, there's a beautiful aroma of the feast calling people to come. But sometimes we can become adept at maintaining a facade of spirituality that does not necessarily match what's going on within. Right? Don't swear, tr- drink, or chew, or go with girls that do, those type of things. You know, everyone is well-maintained. Everything's fine. Being good externally becomes second nature. Everyone seems so together. There are a few evident needs And where there are, they're disguised. But underneath, it's too easy for us sometimes to forget that we are two sinners. Yes, forgiven. Yes, justified. Yes, beloved. But still, in and of ourselves, weak and vulnerable. And we begin to see the sinners out there and not in here. Yesterday, I drove out to 
snow camp. <laughs> and Derek Bates was, RUF minister at Pitt was speaking. And he reminded us that in order for us to really be who God has called us to be, to really be who we are to be as Christians, we have to be honest. We have to be honest about what is really going on in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds, and how scary that is, and yet that is the only remedy. We have to be honest with ourselves and with others in the body of Christ and with those who are outside of the church. Because if we're not, the radical work of Christ can be tainted when the redeemed people lose sight of their continuing need for Christ. When, they, when we forget that our eternal future is secure and yet we walk in fear of what people are going to find out and know about us. The church can easily become a self-righteous subculture with no room or sympathy for those sinners. But if we've experienced fellowship with Jesus, if we've eaten with him to follow the analogy that we've worked through this passage, Jesus broke all the rules to bring you and me into fellowship with himself. And if we've truly experienced this, our lives, then as followers of Jesus, we are called to exhibit the same kind of welcome. The same kind of love. We're often usually good at noticing what's wrong with other people. But when we see that, does it lead us to compassion and help or judging and distance? When Jesus looked on Levi, he had compassion. When Jesus looked on me, he had compassion. He didn't distance himself. He came close and said, follow me. Are you willing to get close? Even engage in fellowship with those who are sinners for the sake of Christ. We are to love others because he first loved us. As I close, one last thing to point out. We don't know if Levi, that was his only name. Sometimes folks had two names in that culture. Whether he was named Matthew when Jesus first called him or not, we don't know. It may have been given to him like Jesus gave Peter his name. But Matthew means gift of God. Jesus gave Matthew his name. It's a kind of divine poetry, isn't it? Because this tax collector, this ripoff artist, this guy who was hated and was certainly not seen as a gift to his community, would become, as his name suggests, a gift of God for the people of God. He became a disciple of Jesus. One of the 12 apostles wrote the gospel of Matthew. 
This is utterly amazing because all of the people in, of all the people in Capernaum, Levi was probably the most publicly unacceptable candidate for it to be a disciple. Jesus sought out the guy that no one else wanted. The one who some wished would come under God's most severe judgment. I'm sure there were many people that prayed imprecatory psalms against Matthew. This is one of the glories of Jesus' ministry. And this is what Luke has been building toward in his gospel. Jesus healing the impossibly disfigured leper, demonstrating his power to heal the ravages of sin. Then the pronouncement to those gathered around the paralytic that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And now this, Jesus offers real forgiveness for real guilt. If you don't know that this morning, hear that now. Jesus offers real forgiveness for real hurt. And if you've forgotten that, be reminded anew this day that Jesus offers real forgiveness to all those who are sinners. Matthew West, in his song, Truth Be Told, has a stanza that goes like this. There's a sign on the door says, come as you are. But I doubt it. Because if we lived like it, it was true, every Sunday morning, pew would be crowded. But didn't you say the church should look more like a hospital? A safe place for the sick, the sinner, and the scarred, and the prodigals? Like me. Jesus welcomes the sick, the sinner, the scarred, the prodigal. And for those of us who have been welcomed, the sign on the door says, come. You are welcome. Jesus eats and drinks with sinners in fellowship with mercy. And we have received that when we have known those things, we follow him as he has welcomed us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that Jesus indeed welcomes us, that he eats and drinks with sinners. Lord, as we have known that great mercy in our lives, we pray, Lord, that we would be those who follow in the steps of Jesus, follow in his welcome to welcome us. May we be those who welcome others to eat and to drink with Jesus.